blessing. Turn your Bible to Isaiah chapter 22, please. Isaiah chapter 22. I had a professor in the seminary who was from England, and he would say, turn to Isaiah 22. Whichever way you pronounce it, turn there, please. Isaiah 22. May we pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the challenge that Lloyd has given us in the church and the uh, choir has given us about the church and, and all of these testimonies. And Lord, we just thank you that one day we can place whatever crowns may have won, been won along the way down at Jesus' pierced feet. And with the redeemed of all ages, say from our hearts, all hail the name, the power of Jesus. We ask it in his name, amen. In Isaiah chapter 22, this first verse is a climax to what has been said in the past few chapters of Isaiah. Listen to this. The burden of the valley of vision. Would you just underscore that in your Bible? The burden of the valley of vision. In Charles Dickens' immortal The Christmas Carol, this English writer has old Ebenezer Scrooge go through a series of apparitions, the spirit of Christmas past, the spirit of Christmas present, and the spirit of Christmas to come, like a valley of vision. The reaction of Scrooge to spiritual things is completely changed from bah humbug to a joyful Merry Christmas. And he gave a raise to his associate, and he sent gifts to Tiny Tim because of the valley of vision. He didn't enjoy those apparitions. He didn't enjoy looking into Christmas past. Certainly didn't enjoy Christmas present. And when the angel, or whoever it was, led him out to the gravestone, and he saw his name there, Ebenezer Scrooge, and he died an old grouch. He didn't like that at all. And during that series of apparitions, the Valley of Vision, he was changed. Everything about him was changed. Isaiah had a vision. If you look at with me in these chapters, in Isaiah chapter 13, verse 1, the burden of Babylon. Look at chapter 15, the burden of Moab. Chapter 17, the burden of Damascus. Chapter 18, woe to the land shadowing with the wings which is beyond the rivers of Ethiopia. Chapter 19, the burden of Egypt. Chapter 21, the burden of the heart of the desert of the sea. And on and on, the burden of Arabia, the burden of Duma. And he heard the word watchman, what of the night? Watchman, what of the night? And the watchman said, the morning cometh and also the night. If ye will inquire, inquire, return and come. And after all that series, the burden of Babylon, the burden of the rebellion of Lucifer, the burden of the judgment of Assyria and Philistia, the burden of the indictment of Moab and Damascus, the burden of Ethiopia and Egypt and Arabia and Duma, and the call, watchman, what of the night? Isaiah 
called out the burden of the valley of vision. As we think of that, it was a burden because, number one, the revelation, number two, the responsibility, and number three, the rage or the sense of urgency that was about it all. The rebellion, tragic days were ahead. This was a time of both rebellion and revelation because beyond the tragic days, there was something tremendous, a great challenge. The Messiah was coming. There's going, the clouds will be lifted. It's going to be a bright and glorious day. But Isaiah, you're going through a tough, tough time. And if we read the history well, we remember that his enemies, King Manasseh, the meanest king that ever lived in Israel, took two trees and bent them down low and tied Isaiah between those two trees and then took a saw and sawed him in two. And then trees go. That's the torturous death Isaiah faced. A deep valley, a deep burden. But out beyond it all, God was saying out beyond this generation, there's something glorious going to happen. The responsibility, because if we keep quiet, the ruin and disaster will come. If we do nothing, who will do it? The rage and the urgency, because it is better not to see the vision than to see it and do nothing about it. Now I want you to notice these words, the burden. The word burden means a care or a responsibility or a heavy obligation. Almost everybody in this room has had a burden at one time or another. Sometimes it's a spiritual burden. Every one of us has had a burden of sin. In that wonderful story John Bunyan tells about the man who had that awful burden on his back until he came to Calvary. And he climbed the mount and he placed his burden over on the cross and the burden went tumbling down and he was free from that awful burden of sin. Sometimes our burden is emotional or mental or financial or some family problem. Whatever the burden, there's a valley of vision related to that burden. <clears throat> the valley is a depression between the ranges or a hills or mountains. It is a, if there were no mountains, there would be no valleys. Think that through. And sometimes you find yourself in a valley. Don't be too defeated because out beyond the valley there's a mountain. If there were no valley, there were no mountains, there'd be no valleys. And so God is saying, Isaiah, there's a, there's a valley right now. There's a burden of the valley of vision, but I want you to do something about it. The vision, unusual foresight or discernment. In Job 20, verse 8, the Word of God speaks of the vision in the night. In Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. In Acts 26, 19, Paul was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Now note, first of all, the burden of the valley of vision, the revelation of tragic times and yet great days of head. For Jerusalem, look in verses 9 through 11, chapter 22. You have seen also the breaches of the city of David, that's Jerusalem, that they are many. And you gathered together the waters of the lower pool, and you have numbered the houses of Jerusalem, and the houses have you broken down to fortify the water. 
Ye made also a ditch between the two walls for the water of the old pool, but ye have not looked unto its maker, neither had respect unto him that fashioned it long ago. And in that day did the Lord God of hosts call to weeping and to mourning and to baldness and to grinding with sackcloth. In other words, you've seen what you can do and you've done something, but you didn't look to the maker. You tried everything but the Lord. A lot of times that's the way we face burdens. We try everything. We talk it over with our friends. We twiddle our thumbs. We rub our hands. We pull our hair. We go get some pills to help us sleep. We take some more pills to help us wake up. And uh, all these, because of these burdens, we try everything but the Lord. Their attitude, they look in verse 13. And behold, joy and gladness, slaying oxen and the killing sheep, eating flesh and drinking wine. Let us eat and drink, and tomorrow we shall die. That was their attitude. Que sera, sera. Carelessness. So what? Indifferent. Cold, callous. And verse 14 reminds us, It was revealed in mine ears by the Lord of hosts. Surely this iniquity shall not be purged from you till ye die, saith the Lord God of hosts. There will be death following it. Now, what does that mean for us today? For that day, it meant judgment. And judgment came. And the Assyrian hordes marched across the desert and surrounded Israel and took them into captivity, the ten northern tribes, and they never came back. Ichabod, the glorious departed, written across that nation. It would seem that southern Judah would have been able to learn a lesson from her northern sister, but she didn't. And she went on mad long in her sins until the Babylonians came and surrounded the city for two years and the people inside got so hungry they killed their own little babies and ate them. And then the Babylonians sacked the city and burned the walls and tore the temple down and took the choice people captive. No wonder, Isaiah said, the burden of the valley of vision. Now for us today, sin is on the rampant. Careless indifference. Disasters all around us. I can't remember any period of time when there were so many murders, so many shootings, drive-by shootings, and a boy killing his mother and daddy, and another boy shooting his daddy, and another person just shooting somebody because he wanted to. All of this, he that hath eyes to see and ears to hear, let him see and hear. What is it? And the tragedy yesterday of the Prime Minister of Israel being assassinated. The top men of our nation are going to that funeral in Jerusalem. Tragedy of tragedies, we're seeing it all about. Hope you turn this PA on. Young people over here, I'm talking about some serious things. If I see any more of that, matter of fact, right now, I want you to come up here with me. Yeah, you, that's right. I love you. You know, when you were hurt, our whole church prayed for you and loved you and so on. We wouldn't be right if we didn't teach you how to. 
even the house of God, right? Don't you love this guy? Say amen. amen. You don't want to see him back there and talking. I'll do the same thing with anybody else, all right? All right, so we just listen, right? Listen with our, our ears and our heart and our eyes. I want your attention. Somebody can tell me what color my eyes are after church, and you're really right because you've seen it. I'll give you something. You watch. Sometimes they get red when I get mad. Okay? But I'm not mad. I love you. Now, let me go on preaching. Is that okay? Can I preach? You lift your hand and say I. Okay? Is that all right? Good. Well, you listen to me then. Got something important for, for you to hear. Now, for us today, we're living in an awful age of tyranny <clears throat> and uh, problems, all kinds of problems all around us. And we have to have a vision of what's going on. Sin of attitude, jealousy. Somebody's afraid that some boy will get your girlfriend or some girl will get your boyfriend. See, teens get jealous of each other. And I've known some marriages to break up because of an imaginary jealousy. Somebody's constantly hounding their husband. You didn't come home on time, so you must have been seeing Josephine or Mary or Helen. Just mean as a devil. And some old guys are so jealous of their wives that they make miserable things at home all the time. Now let me caution you, don't ever give your mate a reason to be jealous. When you marry, your eyes are to be upon that one that you promised to love until death would part you. But on the other hand, don't drive your husband or wife to insanity or to doing dumb, crazy things because of your jealous nature. I don't hear any amens. That's okay. Just quietness. But I hope you take it in. There's a terrible monster of jealousy eating away at the heart stream of Christian faith today. And it's not just for the world, it's among Christians, God's people, church. Desecration of the Lord's Day. <laughs> I told our Sunday school class this morning, you don't ever listen to what I say, at least you may hear it, but you don't heed it. I want to tell you, it's wrong, it's wicked, it's sinful for you to go out and buy your shoes and dresses and groceries on Sunday. You don't have to do it. When Grant's, that place that used to be open at Fairview, when they first opened, they started opening on Sunday, some of us went to them and said, would you please not open on Sunday? They said, if you'll keep the Christian people out of our stores on Sunday, we'll have to close. You just sit there. Well, I've said it because God told me to say it. And you do with it what the Lord tells you to do with it. Desecration of the Lord's Day. This is one of the reasons Israel went into captivity. Because for 70 years they ignored the Sabbath day. And God said, for 70 years I'm going to put you in captivity. And then we sit around and criticize some that are trying to do something. Jerry Falwell <clears throat> has done what he could. <clears throat> He reminds me of Jeremiah or Isaiah of the Old Testament. A lot of people don't like Jerry Falwell. 
so he ought to keep his mind on his church, have nothing to do with politics. Did you ever hear that? That's what they said to Jeremiah. That's what they said to Isaiah. They said, go mind the things of the prophecy and the priesthood and the church and the temple, but don't say anything about the king. You know why John the Baptist got beheaded? Somebody tell me. Why did John the Baptist get beheaded? Because what? That's pretty good, D'Angelo. Thank you. The reason John the Baptist got beheaded is because he went to the king and said, it's not right for you to have your brother's wife. You mean he meddled in politics like that? He did. I want to tell you, nobody has ever liked preachers that would take a strong stand. They gather their little toys and they go off to another church where they don't hear that. Jerry Falwell took a strong stand in America saying we need to have some morals. You know what else he did? He was building a great building over there at Liberty. And he sold bricks. And I heard so much criticism of that. Selling bricks to build a church. They ought to give their tithes and offerings. Amen and amen. <laughs> but he built it, didn't he? He built a great church, he built a great house, a great school, and they have three or four or five thousand students, and they're taking stands. Now, I may not do things like Jerry Falwell. I might not even agree to do it like that. But thank God he did something. And we ought to be cautious about leveling our judgments against people that are trying to do something. The burden of the Valley of Vision. Now, I'm going to run out of time in a moment or two, but let me just tell you. We need to find out where our candidates stand before we vote Tuesday. We need to find out where they stand. And I want to encourage God's people to remember this, the, the time we had down at the city commission when three or four hundred of the Christian conscience of this city went down there and begged, begged, begged those men to not open the, saloon, the, the, the places on Sunday for liquor. Amen. And they sat there and listened and smiled and then voted every one of them yes except the mayor. I, I, you need to remember that. You may storm out of here and say, so well, preacher, you ought to keep your mouth shut. Well, I'm going to just stand with Isaiah and Jeremiah and John the Baptist and if you assassinate me, that's fine, or ask me to leave, that's fine. I'm going to do what God says to do. Now listen to something else. We need to look at the future of this city. When we built Glendale Baptist Church here at this corner, at this place, it was a sinkhole. Lee Kennedy remembers that. It was a sinkhole. There were caves out back. First, the first several years of the church, every time we'd come have a big rain, the water would rise and come and flood in the basement, come and go over the doorway and flood in the basement. We still have a little water problem down there, but not like that. 
We didn't have the money to build the church. That first unit over there cost $30,000. And we floated a bond issue to try to pay for it. And it was like blood, sweat, and tears to sell those bonds. And some people say, we can't ever do it. It got done. A couple of years later, we needed to build another building. And we had a, some men of faith who said, well, we don't have any money, but let's go on and build. We had $50. Got a Derek to come out and start digging. First thing he did was to hit a water main and had a flood out there. Have no money. And we had the anchor broadcast. And a lady heard the radio broadcast and she came by just to see where the church was and saw we were, had a Derek out there. She called me and said, uh, could you use $25,000? <laughs> I said, thank you, Lord. I'm just telling you, God will meet the needs according to faith. The burden of the valley of vision. There's a burden about looking forward. It's much easier to stand still and do nothing. The burden of the valley of vision. I want to tell you, thank God for everybody that's in this room this morning. Thank God that you came to the church. You had to be planning to come to Glendale or you would never have found it. How many of you have had trouble finding this place the first time you tried to find it? See, a bunch of you. The first time I tried to find it, I, I drove all around this place in 1957 trying to find this place. It was in May I came to preach a, a message before I became as, as pastor. And I want to tell you, the future, the, the church, the city has grown out that way. And to meet the needs of the 21st century, we're purchasing property out there. Now, a lot of times people just remain where they are until there's a space problem. We used to have a space problem, but three studies, three major studies revealed that you cannot continue to run what you're running in Sunday school and church and do what you're doing on that piece of property. It's too small. And we didn't believe them until they proved themselves true. You cannot maintain capacity attendance without some visions of growth. There's no place else to build here. And so our church wisely voted about three years ago to purchase that property. That thermometer is sort of a story of the giving of our people, God's people. Sacrificial giving. So far, $260,000. Thank God. I believe within a year we'll have that paid and then can do something there. The burden of the Valley Vision. Why do you say it's a burden? Because how many of you like money? going to hold on to it. Ain't going to let anybody take my money. God, you can't have it either. And that's the way we do it. We tip him. We give him a nickel or a dime or a dollar, maybe $10. But God says, you're to give me the tithe. 10% of everything you get belongs to God. And when we withhold that, we're thieves and robbers. And I want to tell you, it's a burden to have that vision of the truth of the Word of God. That's a burden because... It would be much easier if we didn't have to hear that truth. We could just stop our ears and say, don't tell me that. 
I just don't want to hear it. <laughs> but you have to hear it. It's in the Word. And so, the burden of the valley means that we have to lift up our eyes and look on the fields for their white already to harvest and say, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do concerning this matter? Concerning going forward. In the poem Loxley Hall, the author said, I dipped into the future far as human eye could see. And then he saw a vision of all the things that were to take place. If you would let your mind's eye visualize what could happen in the years ahead. The building of buildings, the, the erecting of a sign where people go by, the masses of people go by, and they see Jesus saves. Christ receiveth sinful men. God loves you. We love you. And they turn in to hear the word of God. And scores and scores of young people and young married people and others begin to come and hear the word of God. And I want to tell you, you don't have to compromise the old faith. You don't have to compromise singing just little ditties instead of the great hymns of the faith in order to build the work of God. I don't believe you have to do that. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. There's nothing wrong with some praise choruses from time to time, but don't forsake the old hymns. There's nothing wrong with anchoring to the rock, but gearing to the times in which we live and going forward to do what God wants us to do. The burden of the valley of vision says it's hard, but I'm going to do it because God says to do it. Hit your wagon to a star, they used to say. I think that was a little children's fairy story or something. And, and, and when you look up, and you begin to visualize what God wants to do. We serve a big God. We serve a great God. And God is able. Listen, kids. Do you know what God can do with you? Some of you have come from homes where maybe daddy left home. Or mother left home. Or maybe you don't have a daddy. Or maybe you live in a little house. And, and, and you've become miserable in that. I want to tell you. Anybody here. If you would be willing to do what God says, anybody here could become President of the United States. Anybody right over here could become a great preacher, a great servant of God, if you would give your all to Him. Hit your wagon to a star and let God show you what to do with your life. It just thrills me to death when, when I see people that have gone out from this church who have become something for God and are being used by God in great places. They may not all agree with the way we do things here, but they're out there doing something for the Lord. Thank God for that. Do you know the executive, judge executive of our city, of our county, grew up in our church? I had a good conversation with Brother Mike the other day. I like him. I appreciate him. He married an Episcopalian. He's a member of the Episcopalian church now. <clears throat> Don't tell anybody this. On his visitor's card when he was here a few weeks ago, it said, are you interested in becoming a member of Glendale? He said, no, I'm an Episcopalian, but my heart is here. <laughs> Shh. Mom and Dad, if you're here, don't tell him that I've told that for you. But I appreciate somebody that, that will do something and take a stand for God. 
Now, what am I saying? I'm not going to be able to finish what I wanted to say this morning because of the time, but my, my heart is burdened about the work that God wants us to do in the future, and it's a burden. It's a burden. But oh, what a glorious burden. What a glorious burden. You just think, this generation at Glendale Baptist Church, no matter what your age, have come to the kingdom for such a time as this, when we can make a mark in this city and in this county and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Part of that vision has to do with what we give to missions. Now, we're not going to be right with missions until we get right with the tithe. You make $100 and, you, your, and your bills come to $125 and you say, well, there's no way on earth I can tithe. And if you're going to look at it like that, you probably won't ever tithe, but you won't get the blessings of God. But if you say, my bills are $125 and I'm only making $100, God told me to give him 10 of that. I'm going to do it because God said to do it. You watch, God will help you get, take care of those $125 bills. He'll do it. Same way with the church. I don't believe God is pleased when we give just a tiny bit, a token out to missions around the world. God wants us to be generous and liberal in our giving to support missionaries, to get them out to the ends of the earth and to tell the whole world what the world needs is Jesus. We sing it. And a while ago we sang it beautifully. Let's do it beautifully. Let's get the gospel out. Knocking on doors in this city and out in the county and out in the state and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Let's give and give and give till the whole world knows about Jesus. God grant that. It begins when individuals here, beginning with kids and young people. Young people, somebody told me a little rumor, and I don't believe it. I want to prove it's not true. That in the youth department, they didn't give much offering. Was that true, Brother Buster, or not? I didn't mean to put you on the spot. Better ask Ms. Vaughn, is that true or not? You know what they're both doing? You, you look at me. Here, I ask them, here's what they do. See, they're scared to say it the other way. They'll just say, kids, what am I trying to say? You need to tithe just like your mom and dad need to tithe. Joshua, you need to tithe. Jeremy, you need to tithe. Barry, you need to Everybody needs to tithe. Your parents can't tithe for you. If you get any kind of money at all, whatever you get, God gets 10% of that. And you know, some are doing that already. I've heard stories of some of our kids that religiously, faithfully put aside a tithe of what comes to them and they say that belongs to Jesus. I think of little Amy. She was dying of leukemia. I went to the hospital to see her. She gave her heart to Jesus. She was eight years old. And right after she was saved, she said, Mommy, get my pocketbook. <laughs> and her mother thought she was just trying to change the subject, maybe, you know, look a little kid. And so she gave her hand, her pocketbook. She didn't know what she was going to do with it. She reached in there, fiddled around, and she pulled out a dollar. She said, would you take this and give it to Jesus, Sunday? It's all I have. I want to thank him for saving me. She's in heaven now. 
The tithe belongs to God. But more than that, everything we are belongs to God. I was in a revival with Tommy Hossel several years ago. He's in heaven now. Tommy was a precious pastor of Poplar Avenue Baptist Church in Memphis at the time. And we were in the month of December during the Lottie Moon Christmas offering time. And Tommy got one of the Lottie Moon offering envelopes, took a piece of paper and wrote his name and put it in that envelope and put it in the offering plate. A few weeks later, he told everybody, I'm going to Brazil as a missionary. I'm giving my life. That's what Jesus wants. He wants our life. There's some people right in here that could give your life to Jesus, and God will use you. There's no end to the way God will use you. Every one of us needs to give his heart to Jesus and let Christ come in and rule and reign in our heart. Now, what I've talked to you about this morning is a burden because it's not easy. It takes blood, sweat, and tears to do what God wants us to do. But it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the privilege of prayer. We pray that our church will rise to the occasion and do the big thing for God. We will do what God tells us to do. First of all, in giving our own heart, our life on the altar for Christ. And then the tithe that you give us and our time and our talents Help us to bring it all and place it before you. We thank you, Jesus, that you made it all possible because of your death on the cross, your triumphant resurrection, and the interceding of the Holy Spirit in our hearts right now. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, please.